Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Audio bandwidth for Security Now is provided by AOL Music and Spinner.com, where you can get free MP3s, exclusive interviews, and more. Video bandwidth for Security Now is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 231 for January 14th, 2010. The Security Omnibus and CES Update. Security Now is brought to you by GoToMeeting. Do more and travel less with GoToMeeting. Make your next meeting a go-to meeting instead. For your free 30-day trial, visit gotomeeting.com slash security now. And by Carbonite, the leader in online backup. Backup your PC or Mac off-site, securely and automatically. For a free trial offer plus two free months with purchase, go to carbonite.com. Offer code TWIT. And by the new voice-activated sync, featuring hands-free calling, music and podcast search, and turn-by-turn navigation. Available exclusively on Ford, Lincoln, and Mercury vehicles. For more details, visit SyncMyRide.com. It's time for Security Now, episode 231 in a continuing saga of pain, sorrow, and insecurity. Here's the man protecting us from it all, Mr. Steve Gibson of GRC.com. Hi, Steve. Just what everyone wants. A, <laughs> Tune in a for the cr- chronology of pain, <laughs> sorrow, and misery. Yeah, it's a real uplifting show. Actually, it is, <laughs> believe it or not, it is an uplifting show because uh, one of the things you get out of it is a sense of what you can do, what's really going on. So I, I think that that's not, uh, not an unreasonable description. It's just not sad. Well, it's funny because when when uh, I was killing some time before we started, uh, before we got online, I went over into the chat room and my handle there is Steve Gibson. And they said, you're not Steve Gibson. I said, yes, I am. They said, T.N.O. And you you, you taught us trust no one. Yep. And I was like, "Uh, okay, I guess you have been listening. So (laughs) and how did you prove well, I, I didn't I didn't have chance because because you uh, showed up, but I was saying, OK, let me think. Uh, so I'm going to type a really long number and I'll put that on GRC's homepage. Oh, that's how I do, do it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Since I have <laughs> uh, I have control of that and hopefully someone pretending to be me doesn't. So so we have because we pre-taped a little bit um, because of CES last week, we have yes. a quite a bit of news to talk well, about. Yeah, and there were even some, not Y2K, but some Y2K10 oh, problems right. you probably heard about. Uh, Mark, Microsoft has apparently uh, solved the, the concern people had about the end of the world occurring, as you know, in 2012 by sending text messages from the future from 2016 back to the present just to see what would happen huh well the fact that they were these text messages are coming to people from 2016 proves that the world didn't end in 2012 (laughs) well there you go so i guess we've got that problem that's a a little bit of sci-fi and anyway we've got so much stuff to talk about that we're just going to do sort of a mega one of our mega security updates and then i was very impressed leo with i hope you were as happy as i was as a viewer of your ces coverage Thank you. I think it went really well. I believe it went very well indeed. Yeah. Yeah, I saw I saw uh Jordy and Data 
Wasn't uh, that fun? Live while while they were uh, while you were interviewing them. It was really fun. We've had uh, Jordy uh, LeVar Burton on the LeVar. show uh, several times on Twit, but uh, I'd never met Brent Spiner, who played Data on Next Generation, and he is a funny, cool guy. I really liked him. Yeah, he was neat. Very relaxed and, you know, not... You know, and his skin is not silver tone either. It's, no, you know, no, he was ex- extraordinarily pale. Anyway, so I, I wanted to sort of chat with you about CES stuff, and I did prepare a page that are in, that is the show notes for this episode of just sort of a collection of links of interesting things that I ran across that you and I will discuss and that our listeners can grab that page themselves, the, the show notes uh, on GRC for this episode, if they're, you know, if their curiosity is is pickled by any of this. Uh, I'm looking at your outline and there were there are there's a big security story and I'm sure because it broke so recently you probably haven't had time to digest and I, I would love it if sometime maybe next week we could talk about it which is Google announcing that the massive attempts had been made to break into it and other major US corporations apparently Adobe is the other one from China to yep. get information about Chinese dissidents and this so infuriated Google that they finally did the right thing which is to say, well, that's it. We're not going to censor search results anymore on our Chinese version. Right. And in fact, they're thinking maybe about just shutting down their operations entirely. They've got a beautiful, shiny building in Beijing, and they're saying, ah, well, you know, maybe this is not where we should be. I think they're hoping that the Chinese government will say, okay, you know, you don't have to say, you don't, you know, because I guess they, what, what they're saying is it, it, this may violate the law, probably does in China. We, we don't want to be in a country where we're violating the law so yeah we'll just exit china if they say so or they'll give us an exemption but uh i think this is great i'm very pleased yeah that google is doing this and uh, you can now search google.cn and find for instance pictures of tiananmen and the massacre 20 years ago you can find falun gong all of these things that the chinese oh, government so, so, does not so want. google has lifted their their constraints at this point, their their own search censoring, it, it, and it, now they're waiting to see what China's going to do. Apparently, because if you go to a Google.cn and search uh, Tiananmen wow. Massacre, wow. Um, well, wait a minute. Let's see. Do you find? Uh, maybe you don't. Maybe you don't yet. F- yeah, you do. Stand off at Tiananmen. You do find this is an image search. Somebody just sent me a link uh, from Google.cn. Of Tiananmen Massacre. In fact, you do find some links. Stand off at Tiananmen.com. Uh, yeah, you find quite a bit. So well, I did. I did read also um, as part of this that um, that um, Google will be um, changing the way they operate, and um, I, apparently uh, there were initially a bunch of press stories that talked about this, and then those sort of disappeared off the web and now there's the official the the official story from the official chinese news agency with something that sort of says well we're not really sure what's going on we're going to be taking a look at this and uh, we'll get back to you so yeah, yeah. be very very interesting to see what happens of course i'd love to hear from microsoft uh and other search engines to see if they are willing to go along because of course mm-hmm. that's that's when you have the force the clout is when everybody says okay see you later Google only has thirty-one percent of search in China, so it's it's not the. And they're losing market share. Actually, their their share is dropping relative to the official Chinese search engine. Yeah, that's kind of odd, isn't it? Well, I mean, fundamentally, the internet poses a problem for a a a government 
such as China's that wants to constrain and constrict and control what its people can see. I mean, there, there's, I mean, that's the problem. You know, Google happens to represent an aspect of it because they're, they're the searching technology that allows people to find stuff. But fundamentally the problem is the internet is at odds with the absolute policies of the Chinese government. There's the problem in a nutshell. And uh, I just, I'm thrilled that Google did it. And I would, what I'd like to know more about, of course, we don't really know yet is what, what, what hacking was going on. Uh, They said that uh, dissidents Gmail accounts had been hacked, but because of, uh, you know, phishing scams or Trojans that have been placed on their computers, not through Google and that Google believes that nothing of uh, importance was uh, stolen. However, they do say intellectual property was stolen by China and boy, did that piss them off. Well, and they said it was very sophisticated attacks. I mean, uh, you know, not just random hacking, Mm -hmm. quacking guys, but I mean, people who really understood how these things work, apparently, Uh you know, really, really came at them. So boy, it's fascinating. Um, Let us get on with uh, the other security updates. I know you have a ton to talk about. Yes. um, One thing I meant, I put a note here to myself to just to mention to you before we started recording, but (laughs) it's too late. Here we are in the recording. Go ahead. um, We have no secrets. You and I, Steve, I noticed during CES, I, I watched your you're have, having fun with the whole issue of people wanting the big clock to be in the picture. They love the big clock. Well, and I have to say, I depend upon it too. It's just, <laughs> there's something so right about just being able to see what when time this, it is and what date, when, when yeah. it's recorded. So it, we always have it. And you it, know, the funny thing is Colleen and I went to uh, Costco or one of the big warehouse stores to buy a TV because we needed a big TV for me. I'm looking at a big TV with a lot of stuff on it. And we just, I just walked by the clock. I said, oh yeah. And I threw that in the cart. <laughs> I said, That'd be good to have. I had no idea. This just shows you, you have no idea how people are going to use something. Well, and, and even when you've got your previously recorded gear spinning sure. in the, in the upper left, it's sure. like, okay, when? So my point was, I just, I wanted to suggest that what would be very cool would be, for, for you to just always have, there must be some technology where you could put a time and date just always in some corner of the screen, not the clock behind you, but just, you know, part of what Twit does is it time and date stamps everything going into That's a great idea into the video. So so because, you know, there's the problem of, oops, did this previously recorded thing forgot to get posted or, or and not not only that but when you know what day right. what time it would just be so cool if every all the video that we ever saw just always had a little a little calendar on it i'm with you i love anyway. the idea we'll have to figure out the technology maybe bear or colleen can uh, figure it out uh, bear is the guy who uh, he's our sysadmin but he also wrote the uh scrolling ticker for um Chris uh, Perillo, so he oh. knows he could he he probably could figure it out. And we are at some point upgrading to a different switcher technology that allows a lot more flexibility. And that may at that point we may uh, yeah. If, if, if it would that. just be possible to have, like have a little video generator that's always just being added to the mm-hmm. feed. So I love that cool. idea. Love it. So you were going to talk about a sponsor before we got into security stuff. Yes, let me get let me do a little commercial for GoToMeeting because those are the folks at Citrix who. Brought us to CES, I must say, and uh, did such a great job of supporting it. Thank goodness, because it was <laughs> laciously expensive and 
without uh, without those sponsors, Sync, GoToMeeting, Audible, I don't know if we would have been at CES. We certainly wouldn't have been able to do the degree of coverage we did. GoToMeeting from Citrix is, they thought it was kind of cute because they said, you know, you could say in the ad, we, <laughs> if we'd used GoToMeeting, we wouldn't have had to go to CES. We, that's the whole point of GoToMeeting. You, you do more and you travel less. You have meetings without driving across town or without flying across country. Uh, and they are engaging. They are visual. Uh, you know, we've all lived through the conference call. Boring, dull, sleepy time. Good time to answer your email or play solitaire. Go to meeting transforms that conference call into something that's actually useful, something that you can get some work done. You can get some sales done, some training, some collaboration. You could try it free right now if you go to go to meeting.com slash security now. In fact, go there right now. You'll see how quick and easy this is. You just, uh, you know, install it within a minute or two. And now, anytime you want to have a meeting, you're ready. You, you just press a button, start a meeting. You can email them an invitation. Or you could just say while you're on the phone, hey, go to gotomeeting.com. Very simple. There's a join a meeting button right there on the left. Press that join a meeting button. In 30 seconds, they'll have downloaded the little Java stub that they need. I mean, I just did it right now while I was talking. And then you put in the meeting ID, and that's it. Now you're ready to have a meeting. They're seeing what's on your screen, and this is a revolution. They're seeing the PowerPoint presentation. They're seeing the the the, the documents, the drawings, whatever it is that's visual that you want to convey. You can collaborate, too. So you could say, okay, let's work on this document together, and they have access to the document. You could train. Even if they don't have the program, they can run the program on your system after you show them how. You can even let them take control. So they have, they say, well, I've got a better idea. What about this? Let me show you, and they can reverse it They just automatically. This thing is so powerful, so easy. It's completely secure. I know Security Now listeners are conscious of that. 128-bit SSL encryption point-to-point, 24-7 uh, customer support. You couldn't get much better than this. Do more, travel less, save money. With GoToMeeting. Go to GoToMeeting.com slash security now. Create your GoToMeeting account. Just take a second and boom, you're ready to go. 30 days absolutely free. Mac or PC. GoToMeeting.com slash security now. We thank them so much for their support of Steve and security now. All right. While we were gone, let's see. There was a patch Tuesday. I mean, all kinds of stuff. Um, (laughs) Lots and lots of stuff. Mega security update. Two days ago, we had not only Microsoft's Patch Tuesday, but Adobe's Patch Tuesday. Um, but they've also announced that Adobe has announced a change that we'll be talking about soon. I knew, and you know, we were talking about how this Adobe's quarterly security update policy. Well, it didn't even last the first quarter yeah. because they had an emergency update, and then they decided, uh, okay, we're going to change the way we do that. But Microsoft two days ago. Uh, we had the second Tuesday of the month, which was Patch Tuesday. Um, they fixed w- only one vulnerability, which was only critical under Windows 2000 due to the way the OS used the problems. This is something that we had talked about before um, previously that had not been patched, which was a problem with the the open type vulnerability. There was a the, when open type is compressed, as it normally is, as it's, for example, shipped to a web browser, the decompression algorithm had a buffer overrun, mm. which was exploitable. Mm. Um, there was also something strange they did. In, in, the font, in the font structure, 
there is something called a name table where text can be put in. And a previous security update limited the length of the strings in the name table to 5,000 bytes. And since this is all Unicode, which is to say two bytes per character, that was 2,500 bytes. Microsoft apparently thought, oh, that's, you know, no one's going to have font name metadata that's longer than 2,500 bytes. Eh, uh, wrong. It mm. turns out that some fonts have the entire license agreement oh, great. from the font vendor <laughs> of stuck in the name table. Why not? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so that previous, it, it was back in 09, that security update broke the font, this particular, you know, font family for anyone who had, believe it or not, strings larger than 2,500 Unicode characters. So one of the other things that they fixed was they restored it to what it should have been, which is 64K, if you can believe it or not, which is to say 32K Unicode characters. Which is good until somebody decides they want to put Moby Dick in the font <laughs> name space. That's just nuts. Now, significantly, we did not get something that we were hoping for with this t- fix with this uh, patch Tuesday, which is the, the zero day flaw in the SMB, the the server message block protocol. That's still hanging out there, flapping in the breeze, and it's not a huge problem. Only because today, very few systems will be exposing their SMB ports um, to, you know, that's file, you know, Microsoft Windows and file sharing ports, essentially. It's ironic because this is what got you started way back when. Yeah. It's when you saw all those open port 135s and all those open shares. Exactly. Uh, I realized, okay, this is really a bad but, idea. Now that was NetBIOS. SMB is is different, right? It's well, th- that or was no. NetBIOS, but it's the same set of ports. Oh, okay. and And Microsoft has dramatically overloaded the role of those ports. They use them for all kinds of things. For example, remote registry is there and in all kinds of sort of intermachine services. Yeah, just the words remote registry send a chill down my spine. <laughs> yeah. What a terrible yeah. idea. It's just, yeah, I said, Leo, you really have been paying attention. That's <laughs> just a nasty idea. Get the hang of this security <laughs> stuff. Yeah, it's like, that's a really bad idea. Who, why, you know, well, let's just have our registry sure. out there. Let and it's running out. by default, too. I love that. It's like by default, what? remote registry service is running wow. in Windows. Now, the good news is, with Windows Firewall and, of course, being behind routers, we've got multiple layers of protection. So those ports, even though they are open and this SMB protocol flaw is there, you can't get it from the outside. The problem is that you can get it within a LAN. That is to say, so, so one of the things that we're seeing is we're seeing Trojans, which we know like to spread Within a local area network, once, you know, uh, some employee brings an infected laptop into work and plugs it in to his hub at his desk, if there's something bad there, it'll just go like wildfire. We've seen Trojans that use open window shares to jump from machine to machine. Unfortunately, the server message block protocol flaw is available and exposed within a LAN. So anyway... I can't explain Microsoft not fixing it because it's not good. There's proof of concept code. It's in the wild. It's being exploited. 
but we didn't get it this Tuesday. I'm sure we'll get it next month, but it's going to be a long month. Um, now, Adobe also patched another bad uh, reader vulnerability, which is being actively exploited. Um, it's one where uh, it's being used both for targeted and sort of um, just widespread use. Uh, it uses a, a problem with reader in um, th- that's exploitable by opening a PDF, which of course has become now the universal document sharing format. Um, on my system, I went from 8.1.7, which was the last update I had, to 8.2, although I'm still on the version 8 track, and there's a 9 that is the most recent. Strangely enough, too, I thought, well, th- this morning, I thought, I ought to update myself to that because I had some problems un- under Firefox with document, with PDFs not opening smoothly, and I thought I'd update myself to the, to the 9 because it's time, and... I went through all the download process and update and it didn't happen. I'm still at eight. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where it went or what's going on, but I'll, I'll figure that out. Um, however, I wanted to bring this up to our listeners because I had to go ask for it deliberately. That is, I didn't get an automatic oh. notification from Adobe. So I had to, to, to open a PDF document to get the reader running. Then under the help menu did a check for updates and it said, Oh, what do you know? We've we fixed this horrible problem, so you should uh, update the you know get the update, which I did, and I'm now at eight point two. Um, significantly, um, and we'll talk about this a little bit later in the show. Um, the expectation is among the security community that Adobe this year in 2010 is going to surpass Microsoft as the number one target for attacks. Due to the well, continuing problems, yes, yeah. you know the huge number of vulnerabilities that are continually being found in Reader and in Flash. Right. So, I mean, it's you know, it's no surprise. Yeah. Um, the one thing I would reiterate saying, and I imagine people have probably already done this if they're going to, but I have to say it again: is disable JavaScript in Acrobat, mm-hmm. in that is in a, in the Acrobat Reader. There just is no need. For scripting, I mean, you know, we we understand we understand there's a need for scripting on web pages because it's being actively used by more and more websites, with it with it being a mixed blessing. But there's just no need for scripting in a PDF document. I mean, maybe there are corporate settings where corporate IT uses scripted PDFs for some you know business oriented infrastructure glue. I mean, I don't know. But typical PDFs just sit there. They don't have to run code. There's no code in them. And so you don't want your reader to have scripting enabled when you virtually never need it. And if you do need it, you probably know you do. If, if you don't know you do need it, then you almost certainly don't need it. So disable it. Now is a good time. And on the topic of Adobe, um, they've announced that they are going to be beta testing silent updates. Um, They've been watching Google with Google's Chrome browser sort of succeed at that, where Chrome just sort of checks in with the mothership every so often and pretty often and quietly keeps itself current. So this is Adobe's new strategy, apparently, for 
not waiting three months between major updates, which they've never succeeded in doing because the problems they're having are so critical that this notion of updating quarterly, which we knew when we heard about it a year ago being ridiculous, turns out to have been exactly that. So what will happen is if the silent update, as they're calling it, beta test works as well as they expect it to, then with with perhaps the next major update, for example, to Acrobat Reader 10, um, they expect that technology to be in there and enabled by default. Users will have some control over it. You could go in and turn it off if you wanted to. But basically, Is they that, just you think, think it's a good thing? Silent updates? I have mixed feelings about Me it. Me too. I, Isn't that funny? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I... I you know, I don't have any of my systems completely automatically update my Windows updates. I have them download them and notify me because I want control over when this happens. The The other problem you have is, as we know from, from lots of practical experience, updates don't always work. Sometimes, you know, for me, I have still have my main system. I can't put Service Pack 4 of XP on. It just doesn't work. For whatever reason, the configuration is hostile to it. So the problem with silent updates is if you had a silent update which caused a problem, there's there's a break in the causality. You wouldn't know why something suddenly wasn't working, something broke. But if instead... You say, okay, now's a good time to reboot my system. I shut things down, you know, install updates and do a reboot. If when it comes back up, something's broken, I, I know why that is. I know what I was just doing that caused the problem. So, so there's that problem. And um, I don't know. I guess I'm, I'm still of the school that would sort of like to have a little more control. Most over. businesses, I would imagine, wouldn't uh, be thrilled about this, right? They'll, t- yes, they'll turn and, it off right away. Yeah, I imagine, and they may have something at the gate that will automatically, uh, yes. you know, turn it off. In, in the same way that, for example, it is possible for Microsoft's updates to be aggregated by corporate IT, and then for them to be vetted and tested right. in the, uh, you know, on the default corporate platform, and then they're pushed out locally to all the systems um, in the corporation. Right. Right. And. Uh, I know that you talked about this. I actually, while I was watching the uh, a a rerun of you uh, talking with was it, I guess it was MacBreak Weekly probably. Um, you mentioned that that Mac OS ten and it happens to be points five and point six um, has is like the last standing OS that hasn't fixed a potentially very bad problem, it's a significant problem, and it was finally put. It was. A proof of concept was put on out on the internet because security firms just got tired of waiting. It was in June of '09 that the industry was informed of this problem. Um, it's a it's actually in a string to floating conversion. The the it's the strtod. It stands for string to double precision. So that's the it's fundamental code in the C, in the standard C library that converts a a um a floating point string into a double precision binary result and that's a tricky thing to do you can sort of see okay well that would you know you'd want to make sure you're doing that right and so it's in this string text 
parsing that they've got. Well, OpenBSD, NetBSD, FreeBSD, they all jumped on it and fixed it immediately. It was possible for the browsers to make sure that that they were doing it correctly. So the various browsers, uh, Chrome, Firefox, Opera, they got their acts together. And we talked about this months ago. Well, for whatever reason, Apple just didn't address the problem. And it's still there now. It is a remotely executable exploit. So um, it's something that Apple needs to get on the stick about. And uh, it's I unfortunate because Apple is not communicative. And this is what we talked about in the podcast is, you know, just tell us. But that's not how they do it. And so are they working on it? What's going on? Yeah, well, and, and we've talked about this, too. Apple has a different approach to security. Um, I would say that the open source guys like Mozilla, they're probably the most open because, you know, their source is open. So, you know, they lay out everything about what it was that they fixed. Next, next less open is Microsoft that because they've just been in the vanguard of of problems for so long, they developed a security process that is, eh, it's, it's pretty open. They announce the things they're going to fix in a very vague way before patch Tuesday. And then when the fixes are actually there, they tell us a lot more about them. And because they're just such a high profile target, pretty much the industry knows a lot about what it is that they're fixing at that point. And then arguably among the most closed is Apple that just says, eh, we fix some things. Trust us. <laughs> we'll get it's there. better than it was. Yeah. You don't, just, know. You don't you know. need to know. Just, just click us. on. Okay. And move on. You don't need to know that. Yeah. <laughs> it's nothing you so, know. you know, it, it, it's their choice that that's the way they want to be. And uh, I'm just, you know, it, it's, I think it's unfortunate that, uh, well, I don't know. I, I mean, it's good that they're fixing these things. This one they've got to get onto now. And I think with all the attention that it is now getting, Thanks to the fact, unfortunately, that someone had to say, okay, here's how you do this on a Mac OS. So, you know, Apple, right. fix they'll it. get on it. And when, when that happens, Apple always gets on, on yeah. it, you know? Yeah. Um, also, something that we talked about last September, early September, in our Security Now episode 213, was about the title of the episode was was cracking GSM cell phones. And that was a follow up to a conference that was held in August where the announcement was made that a group of hackers were going to pursue the issue of cracking GSM further. We talked about then how, you know, it's an old crypto technology I think it's um, I think 1988 was when it when G when the GSM cipher was created and on 1988's hardware it wasn't feasible to do really powerful crypto so they came up with sort of a lame uh, pseudo random number generator based on feedback loops which well whose security was based on secrecy. Well, we know how well that works, yep. especially when the world's got all these GSM cell phones. It turns out that that 80% of cellular traffic is 
over GSM. Um, there are a total of 4.3 billion um, uh, self cell phones in general use, 3.5 billion of which are GSM phones. So what's happened is um, uh, in the at, at the 26th Chaos Communication Congress in Berlin, the lead uh, person, Karsten uh, Knoll, he um, made a presentation announcing that a group of, um, I think it was 24 hackers working since August <laughs> had produced the full GSM codebook. It's a two terabyte wow. blob of data, but it, it essentially reverse engineers the effect of the pseudo random number generator so that using that and with sniffed GSM cell traffic out of the air in a matter of hours, hmm. you can now decrypt and hear the audio of that conversation. Wow. So, you know, the, 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 uh, the GSM association made the, <laughs> the powerful point that what Noel did was illegal. Okay. Well, <laughs> that didn't stop him any. Um, they have a site that, that we talked about before. It's reflexor.com, R E F L E X T O R, reflexor, R E F L E X T O R.com, slash track, T R A C, slash A51. And again, referring back to our episode 213, the, the, um, A5 slash one cipher has technically been obsoleted. There is an A5 slash three, which is state of the art security. The problem is no one has moved to it because of inertia, because there's this, you know, huge install base of existing cellular GSM infrastructure that doesn't know about slash three and only knows about slash one. So, once again, you know, these guys are, they have, the hackers have been very careful. They're, they're, they've, they've been um, explicitly trying not to break laws. That is, they say, for example, we have never deciphered a single anyone's phone conversation. We've made our own audio using GSM and we've decrypted it. We've verified that we can do this, but, you know, we're not promoting illegal action we're trying to say you know trying to further our message that gsm this you know 80 percent used technology is unfortunately no longer safe enough so you know to, ba to basically crank up the um the tension on gsm to get people to move not off gsm but just up to the slash three standard which is you know, strong enough for today. Um, I noted that my Firefox updated. This is actually my last system that had Firefox 3.0 on it. time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Leo, it no longer does. But uh, it was on January 5th. And I thought, well, isn't that interesting? I thought we weren't going to get any more updates of the Firefox three line, the 3.0 line hmm. in, uh, in 2010. 
But this was an, important enough that the Mozilla guys decided, okay, well, we'll do this one last time. I, I do urge our listeners to move to 3.5. Um, when I originally tried, when it first came out, I got a bunch of complaints from the add-ons that I had installed. I held my breath and did it again at the beginning of this year. Not a peep. Every yeah, All of the add-ons that I have worked without any problem at all under 3.5. Yeah. So I, if anyone is, has been lagging behind, I would say now's the time since Mozilla will be dropping further support of it. And yeah. uh, be a good thing to do. That, that is what slows people down is you, you want to make sure all your add-ons work. But everybody's yeah. updated. If they haven't, then they're not going to because they're just not paying attention anymore. Well, and I was similarly slowed down. Remember that, you know, here I am now, Mr. Firefox, but I I was, you know, way lagging behind, staying on IE, just under some irrational fear that I didn't want websites not to work. Right. And I've been now on Firefox. It absolutely does. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Let's take a little time out, give you a chance to get a cup of coffee or a sip of, coffee? <laughs> a sip, of a sip of whatever beverage you've got there. I imagine it's a venti latte tall venti latte but i'm just guessing there and to talk a little bit about our friends at sync the amazing voice activated sync that's in all ford lincoln and mercury vehicles in fact going forward they had some big announcements at ces we'll talk more about ces in just a little bit but you know sync was in many ways the star of the show because it is bringing connectivity into your car uh Top honors at 2010 CES and in-dash computer for Ford's commercial truck and van division, the Ford Work Solutions, which is very cool. It's, it's kind of sync for business. One best of innovations in the uh, in vehicle, vehicle accessory category. 2010 Taurus was the official car of CES for 10 innovative features, including sync. And sync won the CES design and engineering awards in, uh, v- in vehicle navigation and telematics. I mean... There's a reason people are talking about Sync. you got to try it. Next time you're at your Ford, Lincoln, or Mercury dealer, I want you to say, I want to test drive Sync. The amazing Bluetooth, hands-free, listens to your voice, so you don't take your hands off your wheel or the eyes on the road. You can make calls on the go on your mobile phone, find and play music and podcasts, get turn-by-turn navigation, access real-time traffic, weather and business listings, sports scores, even 911 assistant vehicle health reports. It's all in there. Find out more if you go to SyncMyRide.com. That's the site for Sync owners, but they've got some great videos there that show all the different Sync features at work. Keep your eyes on the road. Keep your hands on the wheel. Keep safe, but get more done with Sync. SyncMyRide.com or test it at your local Ford, Lincoln, or Mercury dealers. And we thank them for bringing us to CES also. They did. They uh, and we, boy, I don't know if you saw the interview I had with the. Ford I CEO, did, and that, that guy fun. is neat. He, I was surprised. You he, would dig him. He. I was surprised. This is like the CEO of Ford. It's like wow. I mean, he's cool. he's an engineer. He's some, he's, yes, I mean, he designed the cockpits of all the commercial. Uh, the, you know, the, seven from seven twenty seven through seven eighty seven because he was at Boeing for thirty six years. <sighs> designed the first digital cockpit. And I, I have to think, you know, when you get in sync in in in, in my Mustang, for instance, you really. I have to think there's some relationship there. I mean, it is a digital cockpit. You're not flying. You're not driving by wire yet. Yeah, but I was impressed. I was impressed cool. by that guy, and 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 you know, I thought your interview was great. Thank I got you. a kick out of the fact that he was dressed more casually than you were. I was so embarrassed. I you put a necktie on. Thought, and tie. I'm talking like, to the CEO of Ford, and he's wearing like this Pat Boone zipper turtleneck. I thought. <laughs> I wonder. I wonder if he knows you normally are bouncing on a big rubber ball. I think he does. He that sent me a very of- nice <laughs> note later. And uh, we actually been corresponding. So he, you know, he's cool. a down to earth guy, and 
that cool. bit of a geek. No surprise, I guess. Yeah. Anyway, I was very impressed. Thank it's you. it's uh, good yeah, stuff. We, we had a lot of fun out there. Yeah. So let's talk about banks. Jeez. Oh, well, I just got a kick out of this. <laughs> oh, um, the the American Bankers Association. So crazy. Not the not the ABA that we're normally the Bar Association. The this, the Bankers Association has made a formal recommendation <laughs> for businesses to use a separate PC, a clean machine, a clean yes, a clean machine for whenever they're doing any online banking. Oh please. The the problem is that banking trojans and this is one of the trends that we're going to talk about a little bit later in 2010 where there there's the expectation that this, these banking trojans are going to become increasingly sophisticated already they're pretty amazing um the torpig trojan is the one that i've got on my list of things to wow. do a complete uh, forensic analysis of and to talk to everybody about um in a future podcast but um the problem is that there have been now several security advisories Warning about the so-called ACH, the automated automated clearinghouse transactions. The idea being that you that a corporation uses the much encouraged online banking interface to do their major work now to move funds from one account to another. You know, wire transfers and right. and and fund management. And the problem is that there are an increasing number of ex- exploits that are that are getting into machines and doing increasingly sophisticated work i I should say that when i first ran across this report maybe that is that that these ach transactions were being victims i immediately literally called my operations gal and i said sue um i want to make sure that we don't have any of that enabled i mean even though you know, our operations are pretty simple. We're not a big corporation. Um, I know that, you know, when we move money from one place to another, uh, it's just not a burden for us to require that, you know, a check gets filled out and physically taken to the bank to move funds from one place to another. And so I don't know if all of our accounts were exp- had that explicitly disabled, but they do now um, because it's just you know again it's uh, it's you know you don't want things turned on that you don't really need to have turned on and so we formally verified that our bank would never accept any kind of electronic funds orders from us or anyone i mean not even from us because of course the whole idea is that our our own identity would be spoofed if something ever got into any of our machines so um, anyway, I did get a kick out of the fact that the the solution the ABA has is use a clean machine. Now, I understand that too because um, I've when I've been speaking in front of groups, I've and and have been given pre- giving presentations. I remember I spoke actually once to the Bar- American Bar Association. I was a keynote speaker uh, at a conference they had in Chicago many years ago, and I said to them there, I said. Here is my number one piece of advice. Give your kids their own computer. Now, that, that back then, that was a big deal. No Today, kidding. Now it's all, obvious. Yeah. All the kids probably already have one. Right. Um, but, but back then, I mean, you know, like two computers in the family, that this was, I don't know, like 10 years ago, was a much bigger deal. 
But I said, I said, there's no way you can control what your kids are going to do on the Internet. You can imagine you're going to control them, but you can't. Their friends are going to bring over some software. They're going to stick a CD in the computer, you know, whatever. I said, the idea of mom and dad then sitting down and doing online banking with a machine that's been, you know, in teenagers control for the last four hours after school is nuts. You don't know what it's got in it any longer. So my advice then was, you know, give give the kids their own computer and, and make it an official policy that this is, you know, this is mom and dad's machine. Don't touch it. Exactly. This is not a toy. This is for, you know, this is for serious work. So anyway, um, you know, it's funny. It's, I, I, I use EFTs all the time. Am I really crazy? Uh, <laughs> Should I stop? I mean, look, I'm using a Mac. Come on. Uh, you're so right. So you're a, you're a smaller target. That's definitely the case. Um, one those, of the, wait a minute. Okay. I'm sorry to interrupt. Are those PDP-8s behind you? <laughs> I just noticed on the video, you've got blinking lights over your yes. left shoulder. And I've, I've got that as a topic toward the end of okay, our... Okay. We'll just talk about that. And for those not watching the video, forget I said anything, but for those watching the video... It looks Actually, like war games in for, behind for, Steve. For those not watching the video, I now have online videos. Oh, good. I've got flash videos of my PDP-8 project. That oh, we'll be that's talk- wonderful. We'll be talking about it at the, at okay, the end of the show. We'll talk about that later. I didn't mean... Yeah, if, 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 if it won't distract <laughs> you, there, there's a new menu item on the GRC main menu, Other. And uh, it has a link to the front page, and there's some some videos there. But we'll talk about that in a minute. That's great. I love it. Go ahead. Yep. I'm sorry. I, didn't mean <laughs> I just noticed. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, so, yeah. So you think EFTs are, I, well, I think they're risky. Um, I'm on a Mac, and but I'm, I should just, I guess I should know I'm taking a risk. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can't say that it's, I, I would agree with them that is the American Banking Association that having a machine, you know, what's a laptop cost now? Five or six hundred bucks for one, which is certainly powerful enough to do online banking. And you should um, you should do nothing else with that machine. That's the key is that you, you have to really behave yourself. And I would even go further and say maybe install um, the Microsoft. Um, what was the thing that Microsoft has that resets? Steady state. Steady state, exactly. So it and resets all- itself. Or what if, how about this? What if I use a virtual machine on my Mac? Because I want to use Windows. <laughs> now, which is more risky? <laughs> using a virtual Windows on my Mac or just using the Mac? Yeah, see, now the question is whether that pr- creates protection for you because the virtual environment has to pass out through the True. non-virtual True. environment. Good point. So if the outer wrapper were infected, it's not clear that the traffic coming from the protected inner machine would get any protection at all. Right. So, you know, I, I mean, again, I, I don't want to overly alarm people, but it's worth, it's worth being aware that, that what we've seen over the last couple of years is a, is a clear change in orientation from hacking for sport to hacking for money. And, you know, it's about money. If, if, if the hackers, the bad guys believe that there's some way they can 
transfer funds from your account to theirs, right. gee, that seems like <laughs> something that's going to get their attention more than, oh, look how many copies of this worm has, has spread around. So, so Somebody in the know? chat room suggested this would also work very well, a live Linux CD, ah, uh, because you can't yes. write to it, and you know it's known good every time you boot it. That's an absolutely, uh, that's a superb idea, uh, is, a, is a CD that you're booting that brings the OS and a file system in a, in a, basically in a frozen state. It comes up, the browser's going to be clean. Because you've rebooted, anything that w- was there in the OS, you know, has no chance to seize your system. So that's, that, that's a great solution. Of course, now, banks kind of defeat this because I know at least when I log into my bank, if it says, oh, I haven't seen you before, and you have to go through some extra steps, and then it stores a cookie and flash probably good point so you have to do that every time yes you would lose the authentication on the other hand that's really what you want because it's the it's the authentication hijack which is what these things use is the fact that your computer is known to the bank right so behind your back it's able it's able to open up a session and do whatever it wants to So from now on boot a, a live cd operating system of your choice and put up with the extra authentication, and that's how you get online. That's how you bank. It, it would make that's sense to idea. do just that. I, that's, and, great and that's not a hard thing to do. I could do that. Yeah, and how often? You know, yeah. a couple times a month probably. Right. I think it's worth doing. Um, the BBC reported the, uh, that France's new anti-piracy law went into effect uh, on January 1st. This thing's ugly. And Yeah, it is. It's caused a lot of controversy. Um, and it'll be interesting to see. I think the whole industry is going to watch now to see what effect it has. The the people who are for this are stating that, uh, okay, well, for, first of all, the way it works is if you are, if, a, if an internet end user is found or believed to be breaching privacy or piracy, sorry, piracy laws by downloading copyrighted content. Believed you know, or... Accused, really accused is the it's, word. If the, yeah, if the third parties, uh, you know, who create content decide that you've done it, that's it. You've been well, accused. Well, through your ISP, you first receive an email notification and warning right. to cease and desist this behavior. Right. If you fail to cease and desist the behavior, again, then you according receive, to the accusation of these exactly. third parties, then you receive a written notice in the mail. And then if you still persist in being accused of this behavior, then you need to appear before a judge to explain what's going on. And he has the opportunity to fine and or suspend your Internet access. Mm. So the, the proponents of this believe that there will be a major reduction behavior um, I they think also I remember in fairies re- by might ask, but okay. <laughs> I think they said they expected almost 85% oh, of please. people who received the email notification would abide by it. It's like, oh, well, I, yeah, I, you I, don't want to take a chance of never being able to get on the internet again. That is a, uh, that's a, that's the point a big, is, st- you know, this, this, this is from, this is this horrible act of treaty. And the French modified it slightly to add the judge part at the end because the the original plan, and this is a plan they've, they're trying to get through in a lot of countries, including ours, is just three strikes and you're out with no judicial oversight and, in fact, no due process. 
yeah, pure accusation. And you can see how it starts. They only have to accuse you three times. They don't have to prove it. They don't have to do anything. Then the judge gets to decide. Yep. It's terrible law. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it seems to me, I mean, I'm, I'm with you, Leo. I'm really glad they added the human element with the judge, because at least the, you're able to say, Your Honor, I'm, I have no, you know, I have no idea what you're talking about. Now, he can choose to believe or not based on what evidence he has and so forth. You know, well, and this, Dr. Mom's pointing out that France uses the Napoleonic Code, which presumes guilt until proven innocent. It's the exact mm-hmm. opposite of ours. And this is exactly what this is. You're guilty until you can demonstrate you didn't steal. So this thing has been in effect now for 13 days, 14 days. Um, We'll see what happens. Um, I'm sure people are going to be watching to see what effect this has. Don't know. Appalling. Um, The uh, a a six member bipartisan group uh, formed from leaders of the U.S. uh, House and Ways and Means House Ways and Means Committee, Energy Committee, and Commerce Committee um, wrote a formal letter of criticism to a to a um, the, the the proposed regulation for what's called the Protected Health Information Act, the PHI Act. Um, uh, this the the Secretary of Health and Human Services, Kathleen Sebelius. Um, uh, posted what they were going to propose for managing breaches of health information. And believe it or not, the language in what they were proposing said that, um, that organizations who had an information, a health information breach could decide not to notify patients of that breach if the organization determines that it, quote, presents no significant risk of harm. So anyway, so um, I, I got a kick out of a, a an, an editor uh, who writes for SANS who commented that the banks also believed that their investments offered no significant risk. <laughs> several years ago right so i mean so if you're safe it's 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 ridiculous to 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 propose rules where where somebody who lets their personal private protected health information escape can then say hmm gee you know, there's this rule that we're supposed to let people know to disclose that we've had this breach of of health information, um, unless we determine that it doesn't really present any risk of significant harm. Um, I don't think this does. So let's not tell anybody don't about, worry it. about it. It's just, yeah, no that's just, deal. anyway, the good news is it doesn't look like that's going to stand. There should be, you should be compelled to notify all security breaches, yes. period. Yes, exactly. And, and this case. constitutes a security breach and, you know, people whose personal information has been disclosed. I mean, you know, and here we are, one of Obama's main thrusts is automating medical records management in order to reduce costs and prevent duplication of procedures and so forth. And so, you know, I've talked to my own MD about this during my annual physical. And I said, so what's your story? Because, I mean, I, when I walk by his front office, he's got, you know, a wall 
of paper records and, you know, vanilla folders. And whenever, you know, he comes into my little, in the little patient room, he's, it's all paper. He's not, you know, bringing my stuff up on a, on a, on a, any kind of a laptop screen or anything in his office. He's all paper. Oh, yeah, rec- it's all digitized for me. All of, all of my records are in the computer. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he, he has said, um, and he actually is very tech savvy. He was bragging about the size of his, his um, network storage that he's got in his home. So it's like, okay, well, that's cool. You know, I have a, I have a tech savvy MD and he's also very leery of, of, you know, stuff going online. So I said, well, I'm going to believe me. I'm Mr. Security. I'm all for being, being cautious about it. Yeah. Of course it's a big governmental initiative to put everything online. That's what they're doing. Yeah. It'll happen sooner or later. It's going to happen. Yep. Um, McAfee does an annual security predictions report. Uh, theirs is out for 2010. And I referred to one of their predictions earlier. They have stated that Adobe will surpass Microsoft as the most often hacked target in the industry. And of course, you know, again, we've, we've our friends cons- at Adobe constantly seeing problems with reader and flash one of the things that is attractive to hackers is this solves the, the multi-platform problem to some degree. Now, it's still the case that the hacks tend to be platform specific. So even though Reader and Flash are multi-platform, you know, you and I've talked about this before, where there have been exploits which have leveraged, for example, recent Flash vulnerabilities, they only worked on Windows. Because the because the even though the vulnerability allowed an in the exploitation of that in to the operating system was Windows specific. So you know it's not clear to me that their multi-platformness means multi-platform risk. At least we haven't seen that so far. We haven't seen a true multi-platform exploit of these multi-platform vulnerabilities, but. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens in 2010. Um, also, it's expected uh, per McAfee's uh, security predictions report of, for 2010 that banking Trojans will continue to increase in their sophistication. Again, because why, you know it, it, it pays. Uh, these things are transferring money into um, non-local accounts um, away from users. And in fact, for example, one of the ways these Trojans work is that they get into a user's machine and they remain dormant until the user brings up a banking site that the Trojan knows about. Current banking Trojans are aware of hundreds of banking sites. Oh, they, can t- they contain a configuration file hmm. that... that where they're able to recognize hundreds of banking sites and they're, they're able to mimic the design and layout of those banking pages. One of the things they do, and this is the episode that we talked about um, where SSL, that is the S of HTTPS is stripped off of the URLs so that, so that without the user knowing they don't actually have an SSL connection to the bank. They, they believe they do, but what that allows then is the Trojan to filter the returning pages. Trojans are smart enough 
to add fields for the users to fill out, such as their credit card number, their ATM pin, and so forth. <laughs> the appropriate ones, too. So it's just it, li- literally where you normally <laughs> be filling out a form, there's some extra fields that have just been slid in by the page oh, coming as the page comes back to your computer and so you know what user wouldn't fill that out they sure. would think oh well the bank needs to have this as part of the yeah. information that i'm filling absolutely. out absolutely sure and this stuff is actually happening today so that's the level of sophistication that we're beginning to see um and then the other the final prediction was that uh mcafee expects to see more targeted attacks they're seeing targeted attacks on the rise using email as the increasingly preferred vector. The idea being, for example, that um, a PDF will be sent to journalists and the, you know, as a link or an attachment in email and a journalist will receive email. That's the, you know, a press release, the kind of things that the journalists receive all the time who are covering the news and because of the nature, I mean, it'll be made to look like it's from IBM or, you know, a, a, a known company with a good reputation, easily, that's easy to spoof. And so the journalist says, oh, cool, you know, here's something new from, you know, company I know really well. Click on the link to get the PDF and bang, you're hacked. Boom. So, you know, it's it's this notion of sort of demographically targeting your audience that allows Things, you know, like, you know, malicious email to slide under the user's actual radar. And in fact, it's, it's, it was Bruce Schneier who was recently quoted as saying that, that amateurs attack computers, professionals attack people. That oh, is, that's it's, good. I like isn't, that. Isn't that good? Yeah. You know, it, it's that it's the human factor that is the, is going to be the long-term enduring weakness that that we see we can you know tighten our computers up as much as we want to but as long as there are users who will click links and vulnerabilities floating around that those links can exploit we're still going to have problems very interesting and the chat room's telling me that they're saying france does not <laughs> does not as presume guilt until proven innocent so i i stand corrected Oh, well, that's good to know. Yes. <laughs> um, I want to make sure. That and they're not any... using that guillotine anymore, are they're they? They're not. No, they gave that uh, up a couple of years ago. However, however, this law, this act of law does presume guilt, you know, and that's the thing that really is offensive about it, you know, with no due process. True. It would, I mean, you can, again, you would see somebody so accused needing to stand in front of a judge right, saying, and explain. I didn't do it. The- I didn't do it, Your Honor. Really, I mean, convince the judge right. against whatever evidence has been presented that that it wasn't them. So, right. um, twenty ten, we're in it now. We didn't see many Y two K problems, but there have been some some funny and very not funny Y two K ten bugs. That's bizarre. The most significant is that thirty million German credit cards stopped working on January first. Really. Um, they were they were from the France uh, the the French company Gemalto, which is a well known security firm. In fact, I think I've got one of their little time based dongles around here somewhere. One of the one time password deals uh, came from them. They they issued thirty million credit cards uh, to a whole range of banks, which included not just the Mag Stripe, 
but also a chip. And when the chip is present, it overrides the stripe for authentication. And the chip has a bug, a Y2K10 bug that caused 30 million cards to stop working. Now, there, there, there are various hacks that people have come up with. Uh, some retailers have put scotch tape or some tape over the contacts on the card reader so that the card reader can't see the chip, which is faulty, in which case the, it falls back to the traditional mag stripe authentication mm. that doesn't have the problem. So there's some workarounds for it. The problem is that it's 30 million cards, and I think I read that there was a replacement cost of 6 or 8 euros, which is... Per card? A, per card. It's like $15. Which, yeah, well, times 30 million. Um, so, so this is an expensive problem. Now, there's research being done to see whether the chips can be reprogrammed and be left in the cards, in which case special ATMs would be created, right. which would update the firmware in the chip on the card. Now, I'm a little nervous about the idea yeah. of firmware. Here, let me reprogram your card. <laughs> well, about actually even more so about having a card which is reprogrammable. Right. Because then you, you open yourself to all kinds of hacks. So, you know, if it turns out that these cards can be reprogrammed, well, that's a, that's a new problem yeah. that we've got because yeah. you don't want your chips, you know, which are being used for authentication, to be re, re, reprogrammable. Who knows what will happen? And then in the other sort of funky story, Windows mobile users, starting in January, began getting messages from the future. <laughs> uh, when okay. Just I'm going to get Windows Mobile. <laughs> now that's a good selling point. There was a bug in there was a bug in the texting such that when you received messages the timestamp says 2016 oh, rather so than 2010. So I like that because since these messages are obviously coming from the future and 2016 is 4 years after the the you know the end of the world in 2012 clearly the world is not going to end in 2012 well, that's so we can all breathe a great sigh of yes. relief now in what has got to be the biggest screw up of all time wow well, okay no i can't say that that's but pretty big. that's them's them's big words this is big the good news is all, all of our listeners who have been following along and have picked up on a lot of the crypto technology that we've talked about are going to love this. Okay. Uh, well, unless they have one of these devices, in which case they're going to love the fact that they can fix it, but they need to know about it first. So get a load of this. There are three producers of AES 256 bit Encrypted drives. Okay. Kingston, SanDisk, and Verbatim. Okay. The Kingston Data Traveler Black Box. Ooh. Mm. The SanDisk Cruiser Enterprise FIPS Edition. Okay. And the Verbatim Corporate Secure FIPS Edition. Now, FIPS is the National Institute of Standards and Technology, NIST. That's its federal security rating system. These devices 
have all received the FIPS 140-2 Level 2 Certificate, which validates devices as being secure for use with sensitive government data. That's pretty and that's pretty good. I'd take they it. are completely hackable. Oops. They've got hardware AES two fifty six encryption in the key. So they're not inexpensive. But get a load of this, Leo. You use some software that comes with the key, which of course prompts you for your password. Mm-hmm. You put your password in and it does some mumbo jumbo with your password, whatever it is it does. But every single one of them, no matter what your password was, sends the same key string <laughs> into the AES-256 oh, cipher you engine. Think somebody at FIPS at NIST might have noticed. Uh Yes. In fact, embarrassed by this, NIST has said that they will be considering whether they should make changes to their validation Uh process Uh because the U.S. drives in the USB drives in question met all their criteria. Oh, boy. So once again, so it's true that if as a user you did not put the right uh, passphrase in, the software would say, oh, sorry, um, that's the wrong passphrase. But a, a security company reverse engineered the software, wondering what was going on inside. And what they discovered was that there was a fixed key. Did they so, have a reason to suspect or are they just banging on it just because? Apparently they were. Well, I'm, I'm glad they did. Oh, yeah. They were just sort of curious. And so, you know, I mean, who knows what their motivation was? They, you know, they may have been wondering if it was hackable or just just wanted to see well as and soon what, as you see something secure black box security i think every security corporate you know company wants to look at it right well That's yeah what they and, do. and and what boggles my mind is again our our listeners understand this you take and hash the passphrase with a secure hash and that's what you use as the key this is not hard <laughs> i mean that's all there is to it <laughs> In which case, the key would be derived from the passphrase through a secure hash, and bang, you've got it. I mean, sure, you want to put you know minimum security requirements on the length of the passphrase and all those things. It wants to be non-guessable because it would be prone to a brute force attack, blah, 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 all the things we know about. But the idea that, that, that the passphrase isn't being used to generate the key but that the key is fixed. That's just, I, I, I mean, actually it's a really good lesson because it demonstrates that just saying AES-256 means nothing. Right. The fact that you've got a hardware cipher engine in your ooh, powerful USB key <laughs> means nothing if you always give it the same key. Right. No ma- I mean, oh. anyway, so this company created a, a little shim that just, you know, you plug the key in and you don't have it doesn't matter what you type in it you it unlocks your data it's like okay that's terrible that's not good news that's a good, oh, good, that's a good uh, proof of concept though <laughs> yeah however so for what it's worth if anyone owns a kingston data traveler black box the sandisk cruiser enterprise fips edition or the verbatim corporate secure fips edition all three companies have varying degrees of have taken varying degrees of responsibility 
but they do have updated software. Uh, I would imagine that, in fact, I'm sure you would, if it's, if they've done it right, you would have to empty your key, that is, get all your data off the key onto your hard drive temporarily, then update the software, and we hope they did it right. I mean, it's, again, it's just so trivial to do it right. You simply hash the passphrase that the user enters and use that as the key. Right. So you would you would then update your software, which would change the key, thus scrambling the contents of the drive, which is why you had to remove it. Right. Then I would imagine you would have to reformat the drive and then copy all your data back. If they, if they don't put you through all that, then there's something still not right because, you know, that's what it would take. Huh. But the good news is if you own those, all, all three companies do have updated software. Um, so you can get, get your key working the way it should have been. Well, that's a funny uh, bug. <laughs> and we're beginning, I think we're going to have news this year and next year and maybe from now on about concerns for cloud computing. I just sort of wanted to put that on our listeners' radar. Um, I'm already seeing sort of in the ether some troubling reports. There was a report where some hackers were able to use, in this this case it was Amazon's um, Elastic Computing Cloud technology to, okay, what that is is it's a bunch of big iron servers where virtualization is heavily used so that you've got all kinds of virtual operating systems running on the hardware and clients of the cloud computing elastic server technology are able to dynamically expand the number, like the amount of computing resource they're using by allocating servers on the fly. So these are not, physical servers that are being allocated. These are all virtual servers. Well, there was a report where, as an experiment, some clever hackers, um, security research types, I mean, good guys, were able to penetrate the virtualization boundary and, uh, and know what was going on in other servers that they did not own that were sharing the same hardware. So, so, you know, that's not good. Yeah. <laughs> that's not good to say the least. Yeah. You don't Cause, want, cause, I mean, everything's on EC3 uh, or EC2, I should say everything's there. I mean, yes. tons of stuff, tons of websites you and I use with, with so-called private information. I back up data to jungle disk with jungle disk. We've talked about that. Yeah. Now the good news is, the only reason I'm using Jungle Disk is you can encrypt. It encrypts before it leaves your yeah. machine. Yeah. So, so yes, somebody there in the cloud who crossed over a virtualization boundary would see debris, but that I means that pseudo random noise is what comes out of any good cipher. So that's all they're going to get, and it's the only reason I'm using it. I mean, I fundamentally don't trust all of that, all of this cloud computing technology. It is brand new. And we know we know our lessons about brand new security stuff. You know, it's an interesting idea. The whole world's all gung ho and gaga over it, but it's not clear to me uh, that it's ready for prime time yet. And you know, researchers are saying, "Ah, we're ready to show you that it's not." 
So um, I do think we're going to see that in the future. I just sort of wanted to to put a little bullet point on our listeners' radar about that. Um, uh, I did see another little article that was interesting um, where a federal appeals court panel is questioning the FCC's authority to impose net neutrality rules on Comcast. Oh, and it's dear. Like, yes. Yes. So a federal court of appeals is saying we're not sure whether the FCC has the authority to tell Comcast they are not supposed to or are not. It is illegal that they are not allowed to filter their customers traffic and prevent them from using BitTorrent. You know, it's funny um, because I was at an EFF uh, event and EFF Electronic Frontier Foundation, which, t- which is, you know, these guys are legal eagles and really all they do is go to court to try to protect our freedoms. Yes. They were saying there's some real question about whether the FCC has the right. We like net neutrality. We believe in net neutrality. They were internally debating whether government involvement in the Internet in any form was a good thing. And they did point out there may not be any legal precedent for this. So I'm not surprised that the court is actually getting involved. Well, I think it was inevitable because, you know, Comcast is going to push back hard. Um, Providers like Comcast, including Comcast, are saying that they are entitled to seek returns on their investments by offering premium services. And we're entitled as customers in a free market to move elsewhere. If we had a free market. The problem is exactly... Yes. I mean, you know, it's it's like the situation with healthcare insurance. I mean, you, you really don't have any competition. I'm I'm a, um, a community cable vision, you know, a, a Cox user in Southern California for my cable modem. I don't have a choice. No, nope. they're my they're the provider that's on the other end of the wire. So, yep. It's a really and, interesting. Uh, and then I got a kick out of some, I got a, a kick out of something that Sands put out uh, over the holidays. Uh this is just sort of something that they do from time to time in one of their newsletters that they call Ouch. And this was the top 10 reasons computers don't have security. You mean this is like what people say when they're asked why you didn't put security on your yes. system? Yes. Why, why don't you have security on your computer? Mm-hmm. Number 10. Mm-hmm. I just use my computer for email and web browsing. Of course. <laughs> That's safe. <laughs> Good. Number nine. I've never had any virus problems. Right. It's like, okay. Never. So, never been a problem. Eight. Well, I did have some security, but it kept popping up all the time. Yeah, I hear that one a lot. Hate that. It's so, so annoying. Um, number seven. Well, it might crash my system. Okay, well, well we're sort of beyond that point, right. actually. Six. My subscription kept expiring. It's like, oh, well, yeah, that'll happen. You know, that's if you the good have- news about Microsoft and others offering free security software. You can't Actually, really use that as an excuse. I've got that on one of my, it's my, uh, a note in my errata is that I noted that both Paul Therott and also Jerry Pornell in his most recent letter, both of them agree with me about Microsoft security essentials. Oh, well, I can't wait to hear your thoughts. All right. Won't, so we won't we won't telegraph those. We'll get to them. So six was my subscription kept expiring. Five, it slows down my system. Uh, four, I thought it came with a computer. Well, not yet, but you know, it's one of these days before long, it probably will. Number three, it's too expensive. Number two, Macs don't need security. And number one is I don't know what to buy or how to install it. 
So for many of those, I do think that Microsoft Security Essentials solves the problem. I mean, it's it's one of the reasons I'm bullish about it is that I've got friends who are not savvy who would probably, if they even knew enough to cite some of those top 10 reasons why they don't have security software on their computer, you know, it's like, I feel I feel reluctant to tell them to sign up for some, you know, thirty nine ninety five a year deal. Right. I mean, they would, but it's like, eh, you know, and 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 you know, they'll buy a computer and it'll be in demo mode for ninety days. Then it'll start popping up, telling them they have to buy something. I just, you know, at this point, Microsoft Security Essentials is not the end all be all, but. Microsoft is committed to this. We've seen what happens with my, you know, when Microsoft is committed to something, they, you know, they come out with version one Oh is, you know, sort of an also ran, not very impressive version two Oh gets better by about version three. They have it nailed. Yeah. And um, I just think the idea that it's, it's from Microsoft, it's, it's managing security in the background. It's free. no, no, annual or monthly fees of any sort. It's just, it's the easy solution to recommend. Um, I do, I am running it on all of my machines yeah. and I'm, I, I'm having no trouble with it. And I know that now that Paul uh, Therott and, and Jerry Pornell are both on board with that too. Yeah. It's, it seems like a pretty good solution and, and you know, free is good. Free, free, free is, is the good. right price. Free is good. Free is good. I got a nice note from a listener of ours. Um, and I, I'm, I can't pronounce his last name, Michael Nordamark, N-O-R-D-A-M-R-K, Michael Nordamark. Uh, he's in Des Moines. Uh, and I got a night, the, 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 the subject was Spinrite saved my A. <laughs> and it's like, okay. Uh, and that was in quotes. And he said, I'm a networking student at Highline Community College. While we have some fairly new equipment, a lot of our equipment is either surplus or donated. Last quarter, our four-person team had built a small network. This is an advanced course, I guess, because listen to this. Built a small network consisting of seven computers. Our domain controller, a Windows 2K3 server R2, had dual 40-gig hard drives. We also had an exchange server and a web server, which are accompanied by four clients. So it was sort of a little demo network of, you know, Microsoft gear. He said, all of which back up to the domain controller's second hard drive. Hey, guys. We've been working on this network, configuring it and tuning it for 10 weeks, and we're getting ready to present the network to our instructor for our final grade. Well, you know where this story's going. Um, (laughs) On the day of the final, our teacher presented us with a situation. Restore your network from your backup. Love it. Love it. Love it. Sure. No problem. While trying to restore Active Directory, we got a series of error messages saying file location is corrupt or damaged. Please select new location. My team and I immediately started to panic. After several minutes, I remembered that I had my copy of Spinrite. I told the instructor that this may take several hours or even days. I said that if I could get back the info by tomorrow, could we continue the presentation? (laughs) My instructor was more than understanding. It turned out that Spinrite only needed 45 minutes. 
There was not a great much. Story. <laughs> there was not much on the disc, so Spinrack just plowed through effortlessly. By the end of class, we were able to restore the network completely from the failing drive. My instructor was so impressed with Spinrite <laughs> and our ability to get the data back up and running that we got an A for our oh. final project. Spinrite got him an A. The moral to this story is purchase a copy of Spinrite because you will never know when you'll need it. Yep. And if it is not backed up in at least two locations, it's not backed up at all. Thank you, Steve, for your wonderful product and all you do for your listeners. And thank you and Leo for the, or, or thank you, Leo, for you, for the, for you and the Twit Network. Happy holidays. That's a great story. And he's right. Uh, in fact, uh, Peter Krogh, who uh, we've had on the show before, who writes, wrote a book called uh, The Dam Book, Digital Asset Management, is working with a library of Congress. I'll have to find the uh, website. Uh, now, he's a photographer, so they focus on photography, and the LOC is, of course, interested in preserving digital archives, but they have a, a thing on workflow, and particularly on backup, that's uh. so good. I'll find the link for you. And that's exactly what he, Peter calls it, three, two, one backup, where you have to have a local, you know, your, your original that you're working on, a local backup, but you also have to have a third in the cloud or off-site, as you do with your mom, because <laughs> if you don't have that, you know, three, two, one uh, system, uh, you, you you know, no matter what you do, you're running a huge risk. So I like to have two backups. I think it's a really good solution. Actually, that's yep. a good segue too. We your CES notes are coming up. Yes, yes, we got those next. All right. Well, let me mention Carbonite then. As long as we're talking about backup in the cloud, Carbonite is a great solution. I recommend it on the radio show all the time for people who are not sophisticated, who just you know, because a lot of the people who listen to the radio show, maybe, maybe even a few people who listen to this show. Are not backing up at all. Come on, tell the truth. Yeah, see, are you sure you got all those, you know, important data files, your financial records, your photos, your music backed up? Now, all right, maybe you got them backed up locally, but what happens if there's a fire? Now, what do you do? You know, what happens is, uh, you know, if there's a hurricane, tornado, you're in an earthquake. What are you going to do? That's why you have to have off-site backup, and that's why I think Carbonite is such a great solution. You can download and try it right now for free. No, you don't even need a credit card. You won't be giving them any personal information. You just download it, use the coupon code TWIT when you do so, and I'll tell you why in a second, and uh, and install it. Now, immediately, Carbonite, very, and I have to say this, very judiciously, very appropriately starts backing up that personal data. doesn't do the operating system applications or registry files. No, your personal data to the cloud it does it without bogging you down it encrypts and by the way you know we we talked steve a couple of weeks ago about encryption keys they now make it possible for you to create your own aes 256 encryption key so that only you can decrypt that was an issue that earlier that we talked about i think was a very good response to that so you create your own aes 256 encryption key only you know it then it uses 128 bit ssl kind of that's kind of extra. I don't know if they that's belt and suspenders, but to transmit it up to the server. So it is really secure. They're very careful about your bandwidth. It's always nice. In fact, you even have a setting. You can have a, uh, a setting to be more aggressive or less aggressive about how it uses bandwidth. I never notice it working. And after that first initial backup's done, and then it's very simple to get any changes backed up. It's very smart about how it does it, but you just always have that peace of mind that you've got it backed up. And you can get it at any time, not only from your original computer, but you can always log into your Carbonite account from any computer, get any file. So it's it's kind of like your own cloud storage. And of course, it's a great way to transfer if you're going from, let's say you're going from Vista to Windows 7. 
Just do the backup once it's done, transfer the carbonate account to the new computer, restore, all your data is there. Just as simple as that. Uh, carbonite is a great solution for automatic backup, maybe for your folks, your parents, maybe for you, for somebody who's just not doing it. it install it and forget it. And But one of the things I didn't mention, unlimited backup. There's no worry about tiering or how much you've got. As long as it's on your internal drives, it won't do network drives for obvious reasons or, or external drives, but as long as it's on your internal drives, as much as you want. And I'm backing up literally dozens of gigabytes of podcasts all the time. It is just great. Try it free, Carbonite.com. Now, here's why you want to use a coupon code TWIT for the free trial. If after the free trial you decide to buy it, it's less than five bucks a month for unlimited backup, you'll get two free months in addition. But you got to use the coupon code TWIT and you got to do the free trial first. Carbonite, C-A-R-B-O-N-I-T-E.com, offer code TWIT. A great company, great people, very responsive. And I'm meeting with them in a couple of weeks about a new product that you're going to be, everybody's going to be very interested in. Uh, but I won't say any more. I don't want to tip their hand. Carbonite, thank you for your support. All right, CES. You didn't go. Now, have you gone? Do you go to CES? You, I'm sure you went to Comdex regularly. Oh, yes. I mean, that's <laughs> my only exposure to Las Vegas because yeah, I'm not too. inherently I've never a gone there for fun. No, and in fact, you know, I, and I heard some commentary. I think it was you on the floor talking about how how Vegas never likes these geek conferences because we're not gamblers. We're, you know, we're up and out and on the show floors, not putting corners in the, in the slot machines and so forth. So, um, so yeah, I've done CES, uh, a number of times. And, um, I guess back when I was writing the info world column, I was, I was CES and Comdex both. Okay. And uh, and CES, I mean, CES is a special show. And well, it used to be more consumery, and now it's folded in all of Comdex. With Comdex gone, it's everything. It's the whole technology industry is there. Everybody's there, right? Well, and I think we've seen a a consumerization of computing. I mean, right. remember once upon a time there was Honeywell, and there was right. you know Burroughs, and you know st- you know companies that never transited into the the consumer. Um, genre and I mean this was a, a computer show as much as it was you know oh, yeah. TVs and, and there, other AMD's there Asus is there MSI all of the motherboard hardware manufacturers I mean it is a computer show absolutely now I thought it was really interesting that you know the whole industry is holding its breath for the end of January <laughs> no it's kind of funny it's just like okay well yeah Nothing really matters until we see what Apple does. You can argue that the two biggest announcements of CES weren't at CES. It was the Google phone. Which occurred before CES. And the Apple announcement, putative Apple announcement at the end of the month. It's just hysterical. And and Andy had a great uh, uh, story that he posted um, somewhere where he was saying that he says, well, I've booked my plane reservations for... To, to come to San Francisco for at the end of January. He took a flyer for what I think will be an announcement of the Apple tablet, but I don't know. No one All knows. we know is Apple has reserved the space. We don't that, even know that for sure. That's just what somebody says. Oh. <laughs> but it's, but you know, what the, the thing that's, I think, telling and the reason people like Andy and, 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 and I include myself are pretty sure this is going to happen is because there have been significant leaks to the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. And in the past, Apple has used these two major newspapers 
uh, as as uh, you know, kind of ways to float trial balloons and stuff. The leaks are not sourced; they're not sources within Apple. Uh, but I, since I, since I, there's no way the Times and the Journal report these stories unless yes. they're really sure. And I yes. think it has to have come from within. Well, and Apple. and one of my favorite quotes was some way it was either I think it was the Wall Street Journal because um, I I get that on the Kindle and and read it pretty religiously. Um, uh, someone was quoted as saying, I cannot, and this was a person rel- relatively high up in Apple, I cannot confirm or deny or say anything about a tablet except that Steve really likes the new tablet. Right. Now like, that's kind of like, uh, uh, okay. okay. They're saying we're going to do it. And like like all of you guys over there uh, who you have on you know, like Mac Break Weekly, I want one. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I want one. Mm-hmm. And now I have to say, though, what everyone was gaga over at CES, I don't get. And maybe it's because I didn't hold it and have it and look at it. But that's the room that the Lenovo. It's really cool. The screen de- de- detaches from the keyboard. And then you've got a um, a, a Linux based tablet, essentially. Yeah. Running and, Snapdragon. And when you, yeah. Okay. So. It's wonderful. No, there's no, you know, there's no use uh, uh, reason for this. And in fact, no use case. And in fact, Steve Jobs himself said, I don't want to design something that people is just so people could take their computer to the bathroom. And that's basically what this is, right? <laughs> Let, let's face it. So, no, there's no use case for this. I, I thought it was, it, you know, we loved it because it was cool. And okay. it had some really cool technology. And if you saw it, it was beautifully designed. But I don't see people buying it. In fact, you know, I f- bought a tablet, Windows tablet PC some years ago, trying to figure out what the point was. Because so many people have told me, oh, this is so cool. I don't even think a tablet, a Windows tablet makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And in fact, I'm a little bit with Jerry. Jerry and I both own the, um, the HP Compact TC1100. That's what I have. And... And I used it for a, for a while when I was taking notes in uh, yeah. local association board meetings. It's great for like note taking, um, but you know now it's sort of my mail station. I have it. I, I, Me too. I have it's a, my VPN to the radio station. Is how I take calls. <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's not that useful. And Colleen, for our you know for her portable Cyposaurus at CES, um, bought we bought the latest greatest Dell Touch tablet. And I played with it last night for a while, and it had the same reaction. It's like, well, that's nice, but it's I, I just want to use it like a laptop. What I what I feel like we're like we have at the moment is first of all, you know, CES was full of phones and tablets and and crossover products that w- that were bridging different levels. And I really think we have a continuum now of of portable technology that's almost without any kind of a break in it. It goes from a little clamshell phone that, you know, you can make a phone call on sort of seamlessly all the way up to a big multi-screen, de- you know, desktop workstation. We've got everything now. All these little niches and holes are filled in. And so I, I think people, depending upon um, how much money they have to spend overall, um, what their lifestyle habits are. I mean, what I still want is a is a PDF reader, and I'm hoping that whatever Apple Apple does 
will allow me to read PDFs because I, I, I looked closely at the specs for the, the new plastic logic queue, which I'd been holding my breath for mm. thinking, Oh, mm. this, you know, this could be the PDF reader. Um, but it falls short um, from a spec standpoint, you know, the, my Kindle DX, it, I can read PDFs on it, but really the only way to get the resolution I need is to do it in, to do it in landscape orientation, in which case I'm only seeing like less than half of the page height, but I'm seeing the whole page width. Now, the problem there is that all you can do with the e-ink technology is page at a time. You really want to be able to scroll. I think if you had that resolution, but you, which is to say about 1,200 points of horizontal resolution, then you've got enough to view a PDF. But you need just to be able to sort of position that the portion of the page that you can see where you want it to be instead of being forced to just like do kaklunk, kaklunk, kaklunk. Oh, and the way it works where you then on the third one, you get that, like the last inch of the page. <laughs> It's it's just it's no. just broken. I mean, it doesn't work right, and and it turns out that the Q doesn't have substantially more resolution than the Kindle. The Kindle DX with its nine point seven inch screen is twelve hundred by eight twenty four, which is one hundred and fifty pixels per inch. Q is exactly the same thing, even at a bigger size. One hundred and fifty huh. pixels per inch. The screen is a little bit bigger. It's ten point five inch diagonal. So they go from 1,200 by 824 to 1,264 by 944. Oh, so it does have a little higher resolution. It's, well, same PPI, but... Higher. Yeah, so yeah. you get a little more pixels, but it's eight levels of gray, whereas the, the DX is 16, and it's got huge margins. The box itself is 8.5 by 11. So if you if you see a picture of it, it's got, like, you know, big, like two inch all the way around dead space. So you're holding this big thing that's got, you know, a little screen in it. Anyway, I was unimpressed and I've already got a DX and it's right. not enough it, more resolution and it's still going to be e-ink. Yeah. So it's just like, okay, I you know everything that was there was just a me too product. To be honest, it was another Kindle. Uh, yeah. And I, you know, I like the Kindle relationship, the Kindle content relationship enough that I don't really uh, feel any need to move. I, the Kindle works for me as well as I, uh, any ebook reader is gonna. I am so happy with my Kindle yeah. right now. I, I'm. I mean, absolutely. It, it, I exactly do think Apple might here. have something to say there, but we don't know what. I mean, I don't. Oh, I, I do. I'm yeah. just. I'm holding my breath. So, yeah. I prepared a page for our listeners that I wanted to go over with you. It is the show notes for this episode. So it's the notes for episode two thirty one. The URL. I'll just say it, although it's also linked from or will be linked from this podcast item at GRC. So it's grc.com slash SN, as in security now, slash notes hyphen 231.htm. And this, these are just some interesting things. Um, the the well-known uh, audio company, Klipsch, came out with uh, something that I thought was an interesting gizmo. They call them light speakers. Um, you know how how people sometimes have um, recess lighting in their ceilings where they've got, you know, you have like, like, like the light bulb that screws up into the, the, mm -hmm. the ceiling mm -hmm. or even in a, in, in a, yeah. in, in a track light can, 
they 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 put LED bulbs and speakers. Oh, that's a in, good idea. So you don't lose the light, and you screw it in, and you got it mounted. Yeah, and and it, it and so it uses a carrier current. It uses your house wiring to Ooh. carry the audio. That may not be a good idea. Well, I know it's. I mean, the thing's a little flaky. But I just, I just, as a weird, I'm not, I'm not saying that I think these are wonderful, as you'll see. Some of them it's are a good just form factor, though. I like the idea. Active. But it's a sort of a cool idea that you would, you know, you, you unscrew the light bulbs, you screw these things in, and now you've got speakers where you didn't before. So maybe for like for background music or maybe in a dentist's office, I don't know where, but, you know, or maybe at home. But it's just sort of a, a wacky thing that I saw. Um, the second link is bizarre my friend it's a it's a waterproof case for the kindle and and i say under my notes is okay how addicted to this reader <laughs> are i you? swim with my kindle all <laughs> the time that's <laughs> that is pretty funny i mean it's waterproof and it floats so you put your kindle in this it looks like a bath escape that you know that they use it's crazy. amazing you can still see the kindle in there i mean it's huge i guess if you're in a pool how do you, it, does it have a membrane over the switches? It looks like it must. I mean, that can't be an opening. Otherwise, it wouldn't be waterproof. Right. So it must be like a thinner right. membrane. That's, uh, that's I don't hysterical. know. But just, anyway, loony. Uh, <laughs> and I just got a kick out of that one. That is a crack up. Um, then there's a, almost looks sort of holographic. Uh, they they compare it to the Minority Report UI. But this is a projector, a little thing that you sit on the table, and it projects a full color video image onto the table in front of it. And it's able to see you touching things and nap. gesturing. So you, you can like type on a, on a virtual keyboard right and there. move things around. Blanket, I they, think, it, they need more software than they have. And it's, it's, it's oh, I think it has Windows CE today, built into it, Windows Mobile and a like Flash be, player. So it's sort of meant you, to be, you, you should, could like you load it up with content buds, huh? and it does things all I'll by itself. Next time I know anyway, it's just coming. sort of a, a, a wacky gadget that, uh, that caught my attention that I thought was interesting. And then I didn't see it. Did you see this helicopter that you fly with your iPhone? I did. And there was, it got, you know, it's one of those things that it's, if you wanted to design something that would get attention at CES, it's this, it's made for television because when you see it, it seems just to be floating in the air. Um, this, the one I'm looking at is a little different from the one uh, I saw. Let me, let me show you the one that CNET's showing. But they had one that has kind of four, um, I guess it's the same thing, but it was in four kind of protected. It was in a protected shell, I guess, so it wouldn't ah, chop anybody's okay. ear off. But, <laughs> but Maybe they did that for the that show. Must be, yeah, there's, that's the indoor uh, hull. But what's cool about it is is it it's uh, self writing. Yes, yeah, so it ha- it has a it, it has a computer based leveling and like you know local management. So you can pull on it and try to pull it down, and it goes right back. And it's Wi Fi. Yeah, so the, uses the iPhone. And so you tilt your iPhone, and you use so it uses the inertial sensor in the iPhone in order to get like flying instructions. Right. And as you tilt the iPhone, this thing flies around. It's pretty cool because when you see it, it it's it looks it's it's this weird effect of this thing floating in space. Uh, so that's you know it. Look, we've seen these things before. It's not that yeah. unusual, but it but yeah. it certainly attracted a lot of television attention because it's great video. 
Okay, right. <laughs> it makes a great demo. It's a great demo. I'll, I'll, there's a little video on the CNET page. Uh, I saw it all over the place. Um, you know, at parties, every they were showing it everywhere. They got a lot of attention. Now, uh, five hundred dollars. Yeah, you got to really want this thing. And uh, there's a camera in it too, right? Yes. Okay, so it feeds video back to your iPod. Um, you must use the Wi-Fi to feed the video back. Yeah, I yeah. Guess so. Um, it streams your iPhone screen. So, I, yeah, I guess so. And I guess, I mean, in theory, you could probably have let people could. I was thinking maybe we should get one for the Twit Cottage. So, so like a little spy drone. Yeah, let people, thing. yeah. I mean, it's pretty cool. That it just hovers there. It's kind of a weird effect to see that thing just hovering there. Yeah, but cool. it's, ultimately, it's an RC yeah. helicopter. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mentioned that Ray Kurzweil was at CES. Wish I'd known that. I would have loved to have met Ray. Yeah, and and he has a nice interview that is linked from the the CNET page that I've linked to on my page, so you can see him being interviewed. Um, Turns out he's a big believer in the future of e-books, and he's not doing hardware. He's just written some software, which is apparently multi-platform, and it has an interesting sort of page-turn UI. So, I mean, maybe... This is going to be runnable on the tablet. I mean, on on Apple's thing. I, I, it, apparently, it's not released yet. He calls it Blio, B L I O, and it's. Yeah, I mean, it's nothing that I would use because it looks like it's for nursery rhymes and and watching farm animals jump around. I mean, I don't know. It's it's strange. I, I have to point out that our friends, the beloved Adobe. Uh, their PDF format is capable of all of this thing. Web content, clickable links, audio, video, multimedia. Nobody does it, but you can build all of that into a PDF. No kidding. Yeah. It, that much interaction. And, oh, and yeah. what about like really nice page turning? Oh, I've, well, I've seen it. I don't, you know, there've been applications that do that as well. I don't, huh. I don't know if PDF does that, but PDF is a very rich format. We, I've been thinking, in fact, Amber and I were thinking of doing a podcasting book a couple of years ago that would have audio and video in it and all of that interactivity in it. Right. So I'm, you know, I mean, of course you could make this software better, but then and you then, have to then you have to figure out how to put it on a Kindle with its limited power and screen. Yeah, it was so just. Forth. I mean, this is not Kindleable. This no. is something that you could run on a PC. And he says, oh, and of course it comes with a million books. It's like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah fine. They all have that well, now. It's the Google. It's the Google <laughs> stuff. That's all. Yeah, exactly. It's meaningless. Yeah. Um, and then I thought I, I just got a kick out of sort of for old timers. The Scion is not dead. Somebody asked me what my favorite computer ever was and it was the scion 3a i loved my scion yep and i've got one in my in my my own personal history museum the i think the three and the five also and this is the same sort of form factor still a little little pocket sort of you know open it up and and this one's running windows so it's no (laughs) longer yeah i know it's no longer the scion os but no for like taking notes and outlining and stuff but back there was a time when those little scions were cute little machines so I just got a kick out of the fact that it, it hadn't gone away. It's basically then, a netbook for 700 bucks, though. Is the, yeah, uh, I know. Yeah. And then uh, you got to take a look at this picture, Leo, that is this this goo pad is what I called it. It is the weirdest this looking is crazy. thing. crazy. It's got some guy. It's like it looks like a a hand size pad of goo <laughs> that you put your hand in. And somehow it's like. That's supposed to be used nuts. as a control surface, literally a surface um, for computers. It's from Suma, um, who are, you know, like real people. And they've just got this demo where they sort of show uh, on, on the screen in 3D. 
a using a false color image like what areas you're pressing down on right and they're sort of saying oh this is the future of uh computer control it's hmm. like okay you know i take your shoes off and <laughs> and put each foot hmm. in one of these goo pads and uh, you well, know, i like you know i like seeing innovation i, I exactly who knows why I just thought it was a kick. Right. Um, and then I had to link to what you, your discovery of uh, on, on during the, the, the show. This was a really, you know, I liked it. People thought I was joking when I said I liked yeah, it. Yeah, it's a fingerprint controlled carbon fiber wallet. And literally, so it's a wallet size box with a standard swipe fingerprint reader. It looks like it's got some little LEDs on the front of it. And uh, it's not inexpensive. No. It's uh, it's pricey, but I just thought, okay, in in, in the weirder than, in the I think weird, it's an interesting. You know, I, I, I yes, if somebody gets it, they could get into it, right? I mean, that's you can't make something that's impervious if somebody's got physical access to it. Good point. You just bash on it until right. it breaks, right? You know. So yeah. and it has a fingerprint reader. It also, as I thought, this was kind of neat. It, it uh, bonds pairs with your Bluetooth phone, and as yes. you wander off, if you go more than thirty feet away, if it loses the Bluetooth signal, it's, it starts going. Alarm starts going off. Yeah. So anyway, it's iWalletUSA.com. I W A L L E T USA.com. Just for anyone who wants to see something <laughs> wacky. I, I just love, I love that. And that's one of the f- most fun parts of CES is just the innovation. You know? Yes. Just Speaking of which, something. we have the Yo Yo battery charger. <laughs> you know what? Is, believe it or not, Dick is doing this on the Daily Gizwiz in a, in a day or two. <laughs> I just, again, it's like, okay. So this thing is, you know, a generator with a cord wrapped around a pulley hooked to a generator. And so it's very much the same way that, you know, you starting your old, your your old, you know, lawnmower in the old days where Mm -hmm. you pull the little T-bar until you get the, 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 the lawnmower engine to start. You, this is a generator that works the same way. So you pull this a few times and it generates enough power you know, for you to send your final tweet uh, before your battery. <laughs> your final tweet. That sounds bad. <laughs> the final tweet. Anyway, I, just, I had a, it has a picture of it. I just thought, okay, this is, this is wacky. Really, really and funny. then the weirdest thing of all, Leo. Okay. RCA. I'm taking you to CES next time, by the way. You found so many really interesting things that I missed entirely. RCA is showing... A Wi-Fi powered gadget recharger that cannot work. I don't understand. I mean, if this was anyone but RCA, I would be so much more skeptical. But uh, on the bottom link to the page for our listeners is a link to the CNET article that has a YouTube video of a very sober and he looks like you did when you were in your interview in with my, the CES. Yes, he's got his suit and a blazer on and everything. Yeah, He does. And he's holding this little thing up. Now, get this. Their claim is that this thing just sits around. It's just, you know, on the table. It's in your knapsack. It's in your pocket, whatever. And it's it's sucking in Wi-Fi, Come on. which it turns into DC current. Yeah, at, this, at the rate of a... <laughs> A volt a year. I mean, what, <laughs> a watt a year. I mean, how much How much current could there be? That's the problem. I mean, it's loony, but it's RCA. And and they did a demo, apparently, during the show. And so this thing sits there. I mean, maybe if you sat it on the hotspot, and, and there's a reason it's called a hotspot, 
and you know, or like you'd get more power out of collecting the energy from my body heat. Oh God! I mean, I just and look at this thing, and it's like, and the guy's very serious. Oh no, it's we call it energy. Energy. Energy Wi-Fi harvesting charger that harvests power from the Wi-Fi signals all around you, and then you, then it stores it up. And if you need a little, if you know, your cell phone needs a little boost and you don't have your yo-yo charger with you, yeah. then uh, you just plug this in. Or it's buy like, a oh, battery. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that oh. is so goofy. How much power do they claim you can get out of that? Not, it, I mean. It's got they're serious about this. And then they, in, in the demo, they say, and then our advanced laboratory future evolution of this will be to actually replace the battery. Will you take out your normal old school battery and you put this thing in? This and is so, a joke. This is from the onion. Come on. No, no, no. I mean, it was there. Look at the booth behind him. When you play the video, that you'll see. Real. I mean, this was RCA. It was just, it's, and it got four stars in, you know, the <laughs> YouTube rating. It's like, oh, come on, do the math. There's just not enough power. Well, if there were, then Wi-Fi would be a real danger. Yeah. Let's face it. We, you don't want that much energy floating through the air. Yeah. It's, it's bad crazy. News. And then my final announcement is I just finished a major uh, chunk of work, uh, which, as you mentioned, Leo, you that can see it. Blink- so cool. Blinking behind me. Um, I When I got through with the DNS benchmark code, the PDP-8 project that I had been working on um, around this time last year, actually, um, was the parts were beginning to get scattered. And I thought, oh, I, I just have to finish this before they all get completely lost. You know, my cleaning lady comes in and vacuums things, and I hear little things rattling up the hose, and I think, oh, no, what was that? Um, so I, I just I spent 90 days. I finished building the kits. Um, I also put together a bunch of pages. They're linked from GRC's homepage under the other menu item off of our main menu. Uh, nice picture of the PD, the original PDP-8 front panel. I talk about the instruction set and sort of it's, it's a little bit of a walkthrough nostalgia. So neat. And I also did three videos because most people aren't going to have these, but I wanted to be able to show, for example, my what, the the program called Deep Thought is what you see running behind me. It's a sophisticated blinking light program that I put more time into than you would imagine uh, because you can characterize the way the lights blink. They're not just random. You know, it looks like they're actually doing something. And uh, and so you can. Are they? Well, yeah, but not not accomplishing any work much. (laughs) (laughs) They're thinking it's thinking. So anyway, I I, I put videos on the site just because I wanted to to... out of war games. Yeah, exactly. Shall we play a game? And and there is it. If there is sufficient interest, um, this kit can come back. Oh, good. Um, Because I really loved that front panel. I know he had a limited edition of that. That was the problem. Well, the problem is that. They're 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 just being made custom order. The front panels are gorgeous. You can see in my videos. I do a little show and tell video. Then I also show deep thought and lights out. Lights out is a puzzle that I wrote. I, I you know I wrote all this in 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 you know in the last few months in PDP eight. Oh, you must be having so much fun. It was really fun. I have to say I I just I had a great time. So I wanted to formally announce though 
that if we can get a total in the world of 50 people who want to go for more of these, Bob has said, Bob Armstrong, who made the kit, he will do another run of however many. It just doesn't make sense to do many fewer than that. But so on my page is a form where people can say, hey, you know, it explains the kit, what, what, what you get, what you don't, what it costs and so forth. And if people want to, you know, if they, if they look at my videos and think they want one of these things too, then uh, uh, we can make it happen. This is really, really cool. So if you go to grc.com uh, under the, uh, rec- what is it, uh, recent? It's actually, the, there's other. It, other. It's, a, it's under other. There's other. a PDP-8 um, entry. Yep. And there's take- Steve in front of his... And actually, these are, these videos are great. They look like they're high def. They're really nice. It came out nicely. I yeah. spent... Some, uh, actually, it's a prototype for um, a SpinRite video that I'm going to do to... Good. Because I've never done any documentation and people... The problem with SpinRite is you can't, you can't get a sense for it until you own it. And so I thought I ought to do a video to like do a walkthrough to show everybody what SpinRite's all about. So I wanted to sort of beta test the concept here and uh this yeah, is great came, i like it came, yeah night looks really nice well done bravo <laughs> and we get a good close-up detailed look of those uh, pdp8s which we could see if you're watching the video of the show you could see over steve's left shoulder but uh that they they do look cool that they're really wonderful cool. yeah i do think one would look nice behind you kind of just the daily i do too put me away uh, make me one of those 50 anyway <laughs> maybe i should have two or three well, Colleen would get a big kick out of uh, building it. The kits are professionally uh, built. Um, I mean, they're just you need some soldering, it, right? It was you got to be able to do some soldering. Um, you know, Bob Bob orders the the face plates that are all custom. They're like five color silk screen, multi layer laminate. The 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 silk screening is behind a front laminate. They're laser cut uh, uh, openings for the switches. I mean, it's just. It's it's a one hundred percent professional result. I was you know really impressed with Nicely it. So done. Nicely our listeners done. can check out the videos on GRC, and uh, um, I'm back to the DNS benchmark documentation now that the PD8 project is completely closed and finished. So I will get that done, and we will do a we'll do a, a podcast here before long about benchmarking DNS. Very good. That should be fun. Well, this has been a marathon edition. I tell you, you give Steve a week off and he gets more than twice as much material <laughs> together for the next week. Thank you, Steve. A lot of fun. Great stuff. Show notes, uh, as always, on Jeeves, uh, Steve's site. But also, we've got it on friendfeed.com. Uh, I take show notes as we're going. And this is a long one. If you go to the Twit Conversations room, that's friendfeed.com slash twit dash conversations. Eventually, uh, I'm sure it will get migrated by... Uh, our note takers to our wiki.twit.tv. But, you know, you can always go to grc.com because all this great stuff is kind of hidden there. You know, you just browse around. You'll find all sorts of cool stuff. grc.com. That's where you can also find, of course, the great Spinrite. Uh, everybody's favorite hard drive recovery and maintenance utility. And uh, 16 kilobit versions of the show, transcripts, and more. Grc. Dot com. Steve. <laughs> and our bandwidth is being pinned right now. Is it really? I, you can yep, see people go I, there. Yep. We, yeah. uh, we're definitely delivering some videos right now. That's great. That's awesome. Thank you, Steve, uh, so much. We uh, look forward to next week. It's Q&A time. So while you're there, you might want to go to grc.com slash feedback. And if you've got a question or a comment about anything you hear on the show, that's a good time to do that. Steve will respond to as many of them as he can next week. Thanks. Talk to you then, Leo. Thanks. See you next time on Security Bye-bye. Now. Security Now.